do that right now. I was actually thinking about my labor and my work. We talked about the new location and the building we're doing there. I've sort of been a little bit of a project manager, so I put my project manager hat on for certain parts of the week, and then it's like, oh, yeah, I'm the pastor and the preacher for certain parts of the week, and then you got your domestic front, your, your families, and trying to get my kids back to, to school and sent the other one off to college yesterday. And it's like, okay, now I got my family stuff. And I try to compartmentalize. I, I compartmentalize a lot. Ask my wife. She'll ask me about something. I'm going like, I'm not thinking about that right now. What do you mean I'm thinking about right now? Well, one of the most dangerous things, though, that I can end up doing in my categorizing things so I can exist and juggle different pieces of life um, oh, yeah, I got my whole schooling thing in there and trying to finish that program. And I'm like, okay, God, I just want to be, and I want to be found in your presence, serving and working for you through all hours, sleep included. And I don't want to package it all up and doing the spiritual thing. This is the Jesus stuff. And now we do the, the God stuff. You have your life. It's been given to you. And Jesus calls you and I into effective laborship for Him and His kingdom. But it's in all things that we do. And that's where I just want to park briefly on this Labor Day weekend um, before we move forward into the fall because I am mindful that each of us carry a lot of weighted responsibilities. And in those responsibilities... It can not only become burdensome in a human sense, it can also become a spiritual battle in a spiritual warfare sense because you are not able to exist and thrive and be all that God's called you to be. And some of it has to do with your perspective related to your job. That verse that was mentioned in the little video pre-clip there is from Colossians 3.23. New Living Translation says this, Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. That might be a good verse to memorize or maybe a, a verse just to write out and set there on your desk or post there in your, in your work environment. Because what you are doing, you are doing not for your boss, not to gain an income, not to uh, you know, produce some successful stat sheet, meet a sales quota, whatever it may be. You are not foremostly doing that. What you are foremostly doing is serving the purposes of Jesus Christ in the life that he has given you. Work willingly at whatever you do. That's not compartmentalizing there, is it? As though you were working for the Lord. How many of you would like to have Jesus as your boss? I would. Now, if Jesus was my boss, would he be an easy boss? A lot of it depends on your concept of God probably growing up and what you carry around with you right now. I personally find Jesus very easy to get along with. I think he'd be a great boss. Do I think he'd be a demanding boss? In some ways, he would. He would expect responsibility and pushing forward and and some of uh, the opportunities given. But at the same time, he would probably hang as a friend. You know, they say in, uh, in when you're a, a boss that you sort of have three hats you wear. One hat is the, um, the uh, cause hat. This is our vision. This is what we need to, to accomplish in this work environment. The second is a corporate hat, like some logistics. No, you're not meeting budget. We can't do that. We're going to have to work here. And then the third hat is the community hat. 
because you're in a community, a relational environment. And I know being a pastor of staffs, especially and some other staffs I was a part of, or as we, larger staffs, it's, it's difficult to know which hat to wear when. Am I wearing the cause hat, the corporate hat, or the community hat? I think Jesus would do well at wearing all three. But I think he would especially do well at wearing the community hat. And you would enjoy Jesus in physical person working with him. Jesus worked, you know. It wasn't until he was 30 years old that he stepped into ministry. If we take the time between the ages of 18 and 30, which we sort of define as young adults around here, and by the way, young adults, looking forward to next Sunday night, 6 p.m., new building, you're like the first official meeting, a ministry meeting in the new building. Um, what did he do when he was a young adult, 18 to 30? He worked. He worked at his earthly father's carpenter shop. We don't know when Joseph died. He may have taken it over. He may have been a business entrepreneur leading his shop in Nazareth. Our yokes fit well might have been his tagline, right? <laughs> what do you think he did at his work site? Do you think he was lazy? Do you think it was a grind? I think it would have been a good environment. And he served out of that environment the purposes of God as Heavenly Father, is co-equal, but he um, maybe hired some people. What if he hired you to work in his carpenter shop? What would that be like, working for Jesus? That would almost be as scary as being his mom and raising Jesus, the Son of God, right? It's like, I'm working for the Son of God. Of course, you wouldn't have known it that, because he was just waiting his time until God had him step forward to do his public ministry at the age of 30. But Jesus had employees, I think, in part. In his carpenter shop, I think he has employees today, laborers for the kingdom. Are you signed up? Will you work for Jesus? How are you doing in working for Jesus? You see, you're all confused in your job. You think your job's about producing numbers or about clocking hours, about making people happy or putting up with people you can't stand. That's all part of a workplace environment. But your job is really about serving the purposes of Jesus in all ways. And the small things and the big things. You know, when you get to the final day and they roll out, da-da-da-da, we now have the worker awards for the person who has been on the job without sick leave. No, I, I, I don't know what those awards will be fully. But I do know they'll come down to hidden simple things that are mundane to you. Faithfulness, kind words, attention to detail, perseverance when there's challenges in the workplace, language you use, it's appropriate. You know, God has wonderful plans for our life, the scripture says. Those plans are for you to excel in life, to fulfill his purposes. But his purposes aren't defined in some sacred space of a Sunday morning, a life group, or teaching children's class, or being one of the young adult leaders in student ministry. His goal is for you to take all of life, exist in it, and please His purposes. So, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord. And I trust something like just trying to think a little bit and poke into that analogy of Jesus being a, a carpenter, entrepreneur, uh, or a leader um, helps you contextualize Jesus. Sometimes when I read a verse like that, I want to ask, do you really believe Jesus is real? 
Do you believe the Spirit of Jesus? I like that last song today. The Spirit of Jesus, His presence is with you in your work. And whether you go away to work or whether you wake up your kids and you start your work day and parenting or maybe you're taking care of somebody, maybe you're seeing your parents through in the later years of their life. When you wake up, when you go to work, you are working for the physical presence of Jesus in that situation. Is Jesus real to you? You get ticked off at your boss. If your boss is a pain, you can say to yourself, that person, that's my boss, that I don't care for all that much today, they have to report to the real boss today, someday. And his name is Jesus. And he's sitting right here beside me in my cubicle, driving with me in my car in that traffic that you're trying to get to work in. Right? Do you believe Jesus is real? Do you believe a verse such as this, willing to work for the Lord, is a part of your everyday reality? Contextualize it. Imagine it. Make it real to you. So many times, I just feel that we in our Christian faith, even if we've walked with God and loved God for a number of years, Jesus is distant from us in our tangible experiences of everyday life. 1 Corinthians 15.58 Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, this verse, if you're normally to read it, you would think to the work of the Lord that I'm going to study my lesson, I'm going to do my uh, spiritual disciplines, I'm going to lead my life group well, I'm going to prepare my home for a life group, I'm going to be able to, to be involved in some type of a kids program uh, outreach. We think that's the work of the Lord. But if you're redefining that the work of the Lord is all that we do during a day for the purposes of God, then it changes this verse. Always give yourself fully to your commute, to your clocking in, to your staying after the extra hours to get the project done. And for students, young people, you can just take the whole concept of work and substitute the word school. Because that is your work. And hopefully you are working at your school and what God's called you to do. Work for the Lord. Fully put yourselves to it because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So my simple question, and that's really what I'm going to ask you, is a few questions today, and you can sort of define these questions. Who are you working for? See, when you meet somebody... If I was to meet Zach here and say, hey, Zach, how's it going? Uh, we talk a little bit, right? You can shake my hand. That's good. All right. And then one of the questions I'm going to end up asking you is, well, what do you do, Zach? Right? And you're going to say, I'm a actuary, right? That person that deals with numbers, all right? A little heady stuff there, but that's good. So you are an actuary, all right? And if I ask you who you're working for as an actuary, you would tell me the company, you would tell me the people uh, that oversee you, that kind of thing. Who are you working for? So that's a normal question we have in common everyday dialogue. But I want to shift your mindset so when I ask you, well, um, who are you working for? Or if I said, what are you doing? What do you do? You say, I work for the kingdom of God. And I say, well, who are you working for? And you say, hey, I, I took up the posted sign and I'm working for Jesus. Now, that sounds like, oh, it's a spiritual answer, Right. But it's a mindset. Your mindset shifting that is going to have problems when you walk into your workplace this week and they throw a bunch of numbers at you or the numbers aren't adding up. I don't know what you all do as actuaries. But if it's not in, you're going, oh, I just pull my hair out, right? And so, you know, you go, okay, 
all right, I got this deadline, I got to meet, meet this, I got to go see this person, have this gathering, and try to get this figured out. All that can get combobulated within you and bring anxiety. But if you breathe, take a few steps back, and you go, I'm working for the Lord in this. And Jesus, you got a problem with this math because it's not working, right? <laughs> so you're in a partnership rather than being stuck solo. And some of you feel very lonely in your workplace right now. Some of you feel um, uh, outcast maybe at your workplace, other things. But you're trying to change your context. Who are you working for? And Scripture says do all things as working for the Lord. I want to give you a little bit of context as it relates to your understanding of shifting your mindset when it comes to laborship. In Genesis 1.26, we know the creation story. There were different days of creation. We come to the creation stories that relates to God creating Adam, right? And he says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image. Now, isn't it interesting there that the word's plural, us and our. You're talking God. Who else are you talking to? There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Trinity already existed in a community together in the beginning of all time. All right? So it's common. Let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So you are being made, you were made in the image of God, and you are being called to live out that image. It says this in verse 27 then. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and he said, Be fruitful and multiply. Now, that's a fun job. Fill the earth. Yeah, you guys are, okay. There we go. You're with me still. Uh, Fill the earth and govern it. All right? So he gives them working orders from the get-go. If you think your work is a pain and a result of the fall, and you're stuck with it, as a fallen human being, you are incorrect. God created work before the fall of mankind. Work is a healthy thing. Work is a good thing. And if you are not working, you are not fulfilling, in part, your image-bearingness of God. God is a worker. And he created a garden. And he stuck mankind in the garden. And when Adam and Eve showed up in that garden, they just whistle for the people to come and do all the the plants and take care of the shrubs? No, they were to take care of them. And they were to take care of the animals. So if you want to get back to the very essence of who you are as a human being, is you were called to be someone who works out this activity of life of honoring God and stewarding what He has created. And it may not be in a garden that you work. He may steward, you may steward brain power of other people. You may steward the physical well-being of other individuals. You may be working in the medical world. You are stewarding God's creation. And you are made in His image. And being made in the image of God, you are called to be a worker. God is a worker. It's not only in the beginning of time. I could take you to eternity, and it says that we will be co-heirs with Christ, that we will rule and reign with Him. And there's all incredible kinds of stuff as we walk into eternity. Your very essence, your identity needs to be found in part in doing activity 
that we would classify as work. And so life is not about working hard, making a bunch of money, and then sitting back and having real life in retirement. It's not that. That's not how you're wired. So if you're not actively working, stewarding, and overseeing the purposes of God and His beauty in this world in some dimension or another, you are inside, you're going to start having anxiety build, and and, uh, you're not going to feel fulfilled. And it's like, well... I don't know, I, I sort of took a sabbatical here and there, and it was like, like nice not to have to go to work, right? Well, I understand that there's a rhythm to life, keeping your rest, but if you do not have something you're going after, you're nurturing, or you're caring for, right? You are going, you are pressing against the very image of what you were made in. You're made in the image of God. And he said, rule, subdue, and have dominion over the earth. Govern it. Orchestrate it. He did not hire some absentee alien from another planet to come and do it. He created human beings to do it here in this world, in this earth. The Lord took the man, it says then in Genesis 2.15, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. Not just enjoy it, but to work it and to take care of it. And then he says, another verse later, he says, the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make helper suitable for him. So it's Adam and Eve together, knocking it down, taking care of the garden. Now we know that sin entered the world. They were kicked out of the garden. All kinds of havoc is wreaked. And it's wreaked back into our labor market with how things run and even some of the discouragement and the pain that we have sometimes in a workplace environment. It's because of the sin. It's not because God didn't ordain and desire for you to have work. So here's another question then, simply as this. Is your identity tied to the image of God as a worker? See, when Jesus showed up incarnate in the flesh and he started being the entrepreneur of his carpenter shop, Jesus was just being God. And Jesus probably got into his work, crafting, creating, what he's doing, right? I mean, you think about that. He's, he's a, hey, you need a table? How, how big the table you want to be? All right, I'll make that. I'll have it for you in a couple of weeks. I need to hire a couple other people for this, right? And then he's uh, trying to design. He's going to bed at night, and he's sleeping. Now, how do I craft that particular object that they were wanting? He understands all that you go through in your workplace environment because he was a worker, and he was a worker because he was God. God created whether seven days or other kind of dimensions of the days, God created. God's not just done with this world when He returns again through His Son, Jesus Christ, and says, all right, now we all sit up here in heaven or on a cloud and we're good to go. Let's just have a bunch of big banquets. He is going to have us rule and reign with Him, co-heirs with Christ through all eternity. And there's some incredible dreams that He's going to expand upon. You know, I'm always constantly reading, is there life on another planet? Oh, they found water here maybe, this and that. And, you know, they keep just finding dirt, right? And I'm like, well, maybe, maybe it could be. I'm not God, right? Maybe pick some, you know, other place, eons out in far, far away galaxies, right? And it's not for me to know. But whatever it is, God's not done in the infinite world in which he lives and created. We will work with him into all of eternity. Now, some of that's discouraging to some of you today. It's like, really? Do we have to clock in? Is it the 9 to 5 world? You know, what's the deal? No. You will thrive because you are made in His image. 
What did God say when he created? He stepped back and he said, voila, that is very good, very good. And that sense of accomplishment we have when we've created and done something, that's a part of this image-bearing God as a worker. 2 Timothy 2.15 says this, Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive His approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Avoid all the extraneous stuff. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. Now, if you're a King James kind of person, the saying instead of saying "present yourself uh, to God," uh, it says uh, oh, "approved unto God." Show yourself approved unto God. You ever heard that phrase? Approved unto God. Approved unto God. You can take the letters there: A U G. Work for your A U G degree. The story is told of Jim Elliott. Some of you may know who he was. He was a missionary. He was killed by the Alka Indians. Uh, He was very disciplined in his life, very passionate of serving God. He was at Wheaton College, and uh, and his future wife, by the name of Elizabeth Elliott, if you've heard of her, she was trying to sort of win Jim over a little bit and show Jim that their lives were supposed to be coming together. You know, she was maybe there at Wheaton College, which is a liberal Christian arts school up in uh, west of Chicago, that, um, you know, she was maybe there for her MRS degree, but he was letting her know time and time again that he was at college for his A-U-G degree, approved unto God. And he worked and labored that. And there are certain things he didn't do and other things he was asked to do, even spiritual things to do on campus. And he says, no, I am working. I am studying to show myself approved unto God, A-U-G. All the way to the very end, that when he and some of his companions were killed by the very Indians that they went into, um, tried to minister the good news of Jesus Christ, he was working to be approved unto God in all things. And it's him who made the famous statement, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Can you hear that again? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He gave his very life to gain the approval of God. How intense and passionate are you about working for Jesus. Jim Elliott was one of those. This verse is reflective of what all of us are called to do, to present ourselves to God, to receive his approval. So another question is this, is what I am doing with my time glorifying God now or not? I didn't lose my place. I just want you to hang with that question for a while. We can do a lot of things in this world, a lot of busy, busy, busy. But are we, are we pushing out on our AUG degree? Is what you're doing approved unto God? And sometimes God has to do a radical recalibration of where we spend our time and what we're doing, maybe even how you're going about doing it in the labor field. Ephesians 6, 5 through 8 says this, workers, actually it says slaves, but if we saw the word slaves, we'd think this verse isn't for us, but it's the closest thing, indentured servants of that time that we have today for employees, for workers. So I substitute the word workers. 
Galatians 6, 5, workers, obey your earthly masters, your bosses, right? With respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if, here it is again, you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does or she does, whether he or she is slave or free. Just as you would for the Lord, you are called to obey and serve those around you. What we do with our time glorifying God, you may be stuck in some dead-end job doing some menial things that have really no ultimate value, not only to your own life, but to the company. You can redeem those work hours by seeing them as hours you're working unto the Lord and you're glorifying Him. Are you a caregiver in your home and you wonder how in the world can we ever press through and get beyond this stage of my child's development? It'll come, but take note that God sees those hours and the time that you're giving and how you're trying to balance between the disciplined voice and the kind, nurturing voice. That's work. It's labor. And God is in the midst of it. Daniel in the workplace. Do you remember Daniel? Old Testament. Good guy. Great guy, actually. He was exiled into Babylon. He had a great job in Jerusalem. He was around other people that loved God, loved other things, and all of a sudden, the Israelites got conquered, and they were expelled, and a bunch of them were taken to Babylon, modern-day Iraq area. Do you remember Daniel, what happened to him there? He actually gained favor. He gained favor with the government, and he started working in the government environment with a government desk with a government boss. Now, it wasn't like what he came from. This was a different work field. But he was able to thrive in it and be able to pursue and do the purposes of God. It says this in Daniel 6, 19, At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. This is one of the big stories about Daniel. Because when he was in the work environment, actually King Nebuchadnezzar, who he gained a lot of favor with, but then Nebuchadnezzar sort of passed away, and there's this, this guy by the name of King Darius and the leadership of that realm, but he sort of befriended King Darius as well, and King Darius had a lot of pleasure and admiration for Daniel, and he's working these environments, but there's certain times it comes, and it's true in our work environments, where you've got to dig in your feet and say no to something, and so he said no, that's enough of that, can't do it, and Darius is like, I can't have you do that, Daniel, I'm going to need to put you in the lion's den, which means you're going to be ripped to shreds in the morning. At the first Light of dawn, the king, King Darius, got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? He was excited. He was hoping. Man, you keep talking about this God who you continually serve in the workplace. And, okay, I, this, this way, you're going to have to go in the den. So he gets up the next morning, oh my goodness, I don't want to walk in. He's going to be ripped apart. And he's, Hey, Daniel, that God, that God that you serve continually, did he come through? Did he come through for you? 
Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lion. They are not, they have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. Question. Do your fellow workers know that you serve God continually? Now I want to come back and address this in some type of right measure of how to do that. But the question just stands before you. Are you known as someone who serves God continually? By what you do? And yeah, maybe by what you say. Do they know that? I'm in my secular world now. That Jesus stuff I pushed to Sunday and when I'm around my Christian friends. Excuse me why I stay in this category. And you are a different kind of person at work. Daniel. He lost a really good job gig. He got thrown into a government gig. He was doing well, and then all of a sudden, favor turned against him. He got put in a crappy job, and then he got thrown into a crappy place. And he still continued to serve God. You know who Daniel's companions were in exile? You know this story growing up? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? What happened to them? They got thrown into a fiery furnace. Did they get burned up? No. The presence of Christ himself Theophany was there. There was a fourth person, and Christ protected him. Are you in a fiery furnace or a lion's den at work? Someone else is with you. Someone else is with you. His name is Jesus. And you can serve God's purposes continually with him there. Jeremiah 29, 7, referencing this, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Its welfare will determine your welfare. This was a prophetic word speaking to Daniel as he went into exile in that more difficult work environment. Work for the peace and prosperity of that company. I've sent you to that company. You may not think it. Don't feel like you're not without purpose there. I've had plans for it. I want to start referencing a term more in our culture, especially as we look at relocation, and it's the phrase lifestyle evangelism. I've always defined lifestyle evangelism in this way, Christ living in you, working through you, to reach others like you. Daniel was one of those people. In Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission, which is our marching orders as believers, right? It says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. The phrase, therefore, go is assumed as you go wherever you land, whatever job you have, whether domestic or on the front lines of a corporate world, in a hospital, wherever you go, as you go, make disciples. This isn't a, hello, we're going to have a call for new missionaries to go to Africa today. How many would you like to go? Start preparing now. We are going to have plane tickets available for you, and you're going to be able to take off and go overseas and serve the purposes of God. No, it's when the alarm goes off in the morning. You are going into your mission field. Whether you're walking into your kids' rooms to wake them up and say, get ready, or you're walking into your boss's office that wants to throw you in a lion's den. Some of you may recall me a few months ago sharing about my friend Dan Benson. Dan Benson was... Uh, one of the young men that I had the opportunity to disciple for a short season of life. Um, he also was involved in some 
church work I was a part of. He actually helped lead a missions committee. Uh, the church I was on staff, uh, lead pastor at Dan Benson, his secular job, if you want to term it that way, was uh, he was COO of American Senior uh, Communities uh, for retirement, healthcare kind of thing. And I share with you a few months ago that he was caught in an awful predicament where his boss, the CEO, had been getting kickbacks from the government through Medicare. And the government, the feds, decided to go after him. But in going after him and this company, he was caught up in the sweep of it. And Dan, he says, as hard as it is for people to believe, he was unaware of what was happening by his boss. Well, this happened a couple years ago. He had his court hearing. Things did not go well. And um, I remember sending him an email just a few weeks ago. And uh, the response was, of course, not a response because he's had everything. He was sentenced to four and a half years in federal prison. And um, he sent out an email the other night. It's been shaking me still to this day. I, I was sitting here, standing here in worship, and I was thinking about him and his wife, and he has several kids, adult kids, a couple still, I think, in high school or something. And uh, he sent an email, said that on Tuesday morning he's to report to a federal prison in Montgomery, Alabama for four years. I've been informed that I must report to prison on Tuesday, September 4th, to the Maxwell Minimum Security Camp located in the Air Force Base in Montgomery, Alabama, which I later find out actually is where, if you know who Chuck Colson was, Chuck Colson was at this place. Um, someone like a, a Jeff Skillings of the Enron whole debacle a number of years ago, I think he's still there. But uh, it's a prison, yes, for white-collar crime in one sense, but it's still a prison. It's like a campus that's on a corner of this Air Force Base. That's where he's reporting on Tuesday morning. My friend, right here, Dan. And listen to what he says, though. His heart, I don't think I'd be able to pin some of these words. None of this makes sense, except and only if you believe in the sovereignty of God. Karen and I have been meditating on the Greek word metanoia, which means a change of mind or a change of thinking that results in a radical change in the way you live your life. When we take every thought captive in obedience to Christ, 2 Corinthians 10.5, and we begin to see our present situation much differently through eternal lenses, the way uh, we believe and think really does radically impact the way we live. I have an overwhelming sense of peace that he has orchestrated and ordained all this, so I'm choosing to walk into the future with confidence that he will be with us the entire way, even though there is such heaviness to the reality that four years is a very long time. Who would have thought I had no idea this crime was happening right under my nose? I'm embarrassed by how naive I was to blindly trust my boss. Characteristics that I thought were good, trust and loyalty, produced my greatest defeat, and I guess in the world's eyes, ruined my life. Please remember my wife and children who also are in their own prison as they face this terrible and unjust separation. Please care for them. They are far more deserving of your love than I will ever be. So here I am, a bit broken and confused. I feel like I'm dying, and yet I have never been more alive. This is all so confusing. Sometimes I wonder if I'm actually losing my mind. Or maybe, just maybe, I am dying to another layer of myself, and perhaps being rebirthed into his new creation. All I know to do is to bring all of this and all of me 
to the foot of the cross and find my identity and hope for the future in him. It's where I should have always been, empty-handed on my knees before him. But I guess I had my hands too full with other good things to trust and depend on. My reputation, my sense of purpose, my ability to give generously, my relationships, my strong marriage, and my amazing kids, etc. From the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you for all the ways you have walked with us during our time in this valley. You have been used by God in amazing ways to heal and bandage our wounds. You fully believed in his goodness for us, even when we could not see it or believe it for ourselves. We are stepping into this foreign land with the confidence found by knowing you will remain with us through this journey and that our good shepherd will continue to gently lead us every step of the way. You have all of our love and gratitude. Dan. What would your disposition be like if you were heading unjustly to prison term for four years? That email was sent out to many of us in support and prayer of him. You know what I sent back to him? Reflected on the very words I was studying this week. In Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7, before he says, I sent you into exile, says, This is what the Lord of the heavens' armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon and Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that they may have grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. I went and Googled the whole place that he's moving to for four years. It could be worse by far, but it's still federal prison. He'll be working on the Air Force Base, doing different things. He can take courses, there's services, I'm sure. Just like Chuck Colson was at this place and God birthed Prison Fellowship Ministries movement out of Chuck's time there, that God can use this time in my friend Dan's life to birth something beautiful. But Dan's going to have to take up this word from Daniel. And that's what I told him. As the Daniel of the Old Testament was exiled to Babylon, so in your exile to Montgomery, Alabama, may you serve faithfully the purposes of Christ in all things. Multiply, build homes, be faithful. If you think you're in a bad job situation, part of me in my flesh wants to say, get over it. But I've been there. I've been in challenging places even before I stepped into ministry where I'm like, do I have to go in today? There's other jobs I remember that I was doing when I grew up on a family farm where I'm like, really, Dad, you're going to have to make me get down there and clean that all out? Yep. You think you're in a crappy situation, redeem it. Let God do this. See your workplace as sacred space where you serve the Lord and live out your witness of faith. See your workplace as sacred space. Don't brag. Oh, who I am as a Christian. Don't nag. Don't be down on other people telling them they're so wrong. Don't lag behind. You excel in what you do. And don't sag. Don't slip back and fall into sin in the old life. What you do is it said in Colossians 3, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. Amen and amen. Amen.
I'm going to just have us close. Time's gone long today. I'm going to ask the ushers if they just quickly grab the baskets to pass those to receive not only the Lord's tithes and all.